At this time, we are going to go into a time of the word. So if you do have your Bibles, which I hope you do, please do grab them. I know many of us will look at our Bibles on our phones, so go ahead and grab your Bibles on your phones. And turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, where I'm going to be reading one verse, which is verse 25. And of course, unless otherwise stated, I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to read verse 25. Have you found Daniel chapter 7? Yes. Just one person. Have you found Daniel chapter 7? Yes. Have you found verse 25? Yes. Okay. If you're not there yet, say wait for me. Okay. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 reads as follows. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Shall persecute. Someone say persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half a time. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Last week, for those of you who were here and those of you that were watching online, we began a new series entitled The Power Power Of. Thank you. It's good to know that some people are with me. The Power Of. And last week, I spoke about the power of music versus the power of worship. And of course, you can re-listen to that or listen to that if you were unable to do so in the week on our website. I also mentioned last week that it was a two-part series, that we would be beginning it last week and concluding it this week. However, um, that is not going to be the case. We are actually going to conclude the series another time. And what I'm going to share with you today, this afternoon, is something totally different from what I intended to share, which is quite interesting because I had the sermon all lined up and it coincided nicely with the baby naming and everything else and it crossed its I's and its T's and it just flowed very well but how many of you know that when you're a servant of God you must be obedient to what God wants you to share not what you want to share and so the Lord has been speaking to me throughout the week of prayer and fasting and on Thursday gave me a whole new sermon to share with you and so the sermon in which I'm going to bring to you briefly today is also a question and it's simply this and this is the title of my message Are you under attack? Are you under attack? So do me a favor, turn to two or three people around you and ask them, are you under attack? Amen. My agenda today is simply to share with you some of the signs that you might overlook as nothing that actually might be a sign that you are under attack. As I mentioned and as I sensed through this week of prayer and fasting, I got a sense spiritually that a number of us are not at our best. And with that, we haven't actually taken the time out to stop, reflect and realize that actually It could be because we are under attack. 
there are a number of different signs, indications that I could give you that could perhaps reveal that you are under attack. But this morning or this afternoon, I just want to give you three of those signs. And should you be taking notes, we're going to dive straight into it. And here's my first sign that you might be under attack. And it's this. Number one, feeling mentally exhausted or fatigued. Feeling mentally exhausted or fatigued. If I had a subtitle for my message today, and I wrote it down, it would be called Tiredness, a Tactic of the Enemy. Tiredness, a Tactic of the Enemy. Because I noticed that amongst many ways in which the enemy attacks us, one of those areas we often overlook is in the area of tiredness, which then leads to spiritual apathy. The word persecute that I got you to repeat in that scripture that we just read in Daniel chapter 7, and we can put it back up, verse 25, is not the word that we associate when we hear the word persecute normally. It's not, it doesn't mean that. When we think of persecution or we hear the word persecute, we are often quick to think of things like persecuted believers in particular areas of the world. That's not the meaning of the word persecute there. In the Amplified, that word persecute is actually where. But it's only when we actually look at the original text that we get a greater understanding of what that word means. And many of us know that the Bible, the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. But some of you will also know that parts of the Old Testament are written in Aramaic. And from Daniel chapter 2, verses 4b, right up until Daniel chapter 7, verses 28, that portion of scripture is in Aramaic. And this verse falls in between that. And when we look at the word persecute in that scripture, in the Aramaic, it comes from the word belor. Someone say belor. That word is in reference to the mental state of a person. It is in reference to our mental well-being, not physical persecution. That word also has root in the word borlo, which means to fail, to wear out, to decay, to consume, to spend, to grow old. Here's another one. To oppress or to wear out mentally. So we see from the scripture in Daniel that it has always been the plan of the enemy to wear out the saints, especially mentally. And it's never been an immediate thing as it has always been a process. For some of you, the enemy knows that he can't get you to leave the faith altogether. So what he actually does is he plans to get you to a place and keep you in the place where you are passive. Passive being, it is what it is. Passive being that the faith becomes routine to you. Serving becomes a chore. It's not that you're unexcited, it's just that you're not really excited either. And he wants to get you to that place where you're not passionate about the things of God, where you're not passionate about the kingdom of God. And when he gets you to that place, he wants to keep you in that place because that place represents being lukewarm. 
And we know from Revelation chapter 3 that God does not do lukewarm. I'll even go one step further to tell you that the enemy is even happy when things are going well for you as long as those things are, are causing you to become distant in your relationship with him. That's why for many of us, he wasn't so much concerned that we were fasting this week. As long as during that fast, it ended up becoming you starving yourself because you didn't have the time, the strength, the willingness or desire to pray. He wasn't concerned that you were fasting. He was more concerned and more out to stop you from praying. The enemy is happy to keep you busy with the things that will distract you and drain your strength. He's happy that you're getting a promotion at work. Just means less time for you to spend with God. The enemy is happy that you're earning more. Just don't give more of that to the kingdom of God. He's happy that you are busy with great ideas, things to attend and do, businesses to build, as long as these, these things keep you from spending time in worship, even though we learned how powerful worship is just last week. The enemy wants you to be so busy that you can't remember the sermon from last week, let alone go over previous sermons to put it into action. He wants you so tired that when you get in or when you finish your day, you are more tempted to binge on a series than you are to open your Bible or to listen to a sermon. Feeling mentally exhausted and or fatigued, the chances are you are under attack. Ask the person next to you, are you under attack? Number two, here's the second sign. You begin to lose spiritual desire. You begin to lose spiritual desire. Psalm chapter 42 verses 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In this scripture in Psalm 42, David was in distress here, but yet he still had an intense desire for the living God. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, to desire the sincere milk of the word. However, when you are under attack, you lose such desire. The passion and the fire begins to dwindle. When you don't attend church, you don't even miss being in his house or in the presence of his people. When you begin to lose desire, you become comfortable with Sunday to Sunday. You no longer read the word of God out of passion. You no longer read it out of relationship and interest, but rather out of obligation as a tick box affair to complete your daily devotion date because you don't want to fall too many days behind. When you've lost your passion, you begin to start asking questions like, do I need to attend this meeting? How long is it going to be? I've heard it all before. I don't need to be in the church to encounter God. And what you found that used to excite you back in the day are the very things now that you are complaining and murmuring about. And here's my third sign that you are under attack. When you are starting to feel depressed. Did you hear what I said? When you are starting to feel depressed. 
First Kings chapter 19 verse 4 says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. This is speaking of Elijah. And came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Just to give you some context of this story, Elijah had just finished casting down fire on 450 prophets of Baal. But yet he finds himself running from one person. He just cast down fire on 450 prophets in a mighty act of God before the people. But because of the threat of one person, he finds himself running and hiding. And let me tell you, this is the thing with depression. Not can it just come after a big high, like Elijah had. It actually, at times, disguises itself to other people. Because others see the casting down of the fire. They don't see you in the cave. Others see the casting down of the fire. They see the big things you are doing. They see the places you are going. They see the platforms that you are privileged. They see the things you are enjoying. What they don't see is the fear that's in your heart. What they don't see is when you feel alone and want to give up like Elijah. Elijah was suicidal. And by the way, he wasn't the only major biblical figure to feel suicidal. Moses actually prayed that he would die. He said, Lord, if this is how life is going to be, then take me now. Many of us have said the same thing in our hearts, but in different ways. And so Elijah felt suicidal. Moses prayed that he might die. And let this be a reminder to us that even those who are strong and those who appear to be strong have their own struggles from time to time. Let it be a reminder to each and every one of us that when we feel depressed, down and in the dumps, it could be that we are under attack. For after all, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not against the things we've seen as it is the things that are unseen. There are a number of different things I could touch on and could have touched on today that would reveal that you are under attack. There are many of those things that I didn't mention today, but I will run through just to give you an example of signs that you might be under attack, including things like recent struggles with lust. That could be a sign that you're under attack. And lust is not just a thing that single people deal with. Lust is a thing that everybody can face if they are not careful. Other signs that you might be under attack include unexplained sicknesses, impatience, insecurity challenges, all of which some of you may be struggling with. However, I focused on those three points that I just gave you because I believe that these are the reality for many of us at this time. And also because I wanted to leave some time this afternoon to give you some steps that I believe you can take to counteract the plans of the enemy. So ask the person next to you, are you under attack? Let me give you 
three things that you can do should you have identified that you are under attack. Number one, be honest with where you are. Be honest with where you are. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 21 onwards. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. That's the modern-day equivalent of airtime. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And this was her response in verse 27. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Here is a woman that sincerely, honestly, genuinely and authentically required the Lord's touch upon her life so that her family could be made whole. And what is interesting about this story that I bring to your attention under this point of being honest where you are is that this lady was not offended by Jesus's comments or response to her about her situation. She could have been defensive. She could have covered up a lot of things out of pride, which a lot of people do, but she didn't. She was honest with where she was. In the week, Esther and I were watching a program um, called, um, some of you probably heard of it or seen it, called uh, Married at First Sight. Australia, anyone heard of that? I'll never advise you to do that. Um, but the program's called Mar Married at First Sight. And there was a particular couple that were on the sofa that were getting some support from a therapist. And we remember one woman, she was sitting there, and I can't remember exactly what was going on, but I specifically remember her saying these words or something along these lines. She said, you guys all want me to sit here and pretend like I'm feeling hurt, like I'm feeling down, like I'm struggling, but I am not. And then there was a moment of silence. And then the therapist made it clear to her that, listen, I am worried that you are in a place where you are subduing how you truly feel in order to come across a particular way. And it's only when the therapist disarmed her in that way that she actually began to open up about the hurt that she was feeling. I wonder how many of us say to people, I'm not hurt, I'm not offended, I'm not discouraged, all as a cover-up, all out of pride, which actually denies us from getting the help that we need. Because this woman wasn't offended. She was honest with where she was at when Jesus encountered her. Just like the man at the pool in John 5, who was honest as to where he was at. And I can give you many other biblical examples of people who, when they were challenged, were honest with how they felt and did not allow pride to get in their way. The second sign or the second thing that I want to encourage you to do, aside from letting pride get in the way and being honest as to where you are, is to get the support of other people. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. 
For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Often a scripture we use when we're talking about marriages and relationships and, and the like, but it's equally applicable for our friendships and our relationships in life. And if you are under attack, one of the best things you can do is get the support of others around you. Now, one of the things that comes to mind when I think about the power of partnership are trees. Not because I'm big on trees, not because I love trees to that nature, but because of something interesting that I heard about particular sets of trees, including the redwood trees in America, which are the largest trees in the world. Redwood trees in America grow up to 300 feet tall. 300 feet in the air. But listen to this, they only go three foot down in the ground. 300 feet in the air, only three foot down in the ground. Most trees go 50 feet in the air and 50 feet in the ground. Palm trees can go 50 feet in the air and can go as far as a mile down into the ground. That's why if you actually look at a hurricane, you will see palm trees bounce back. Not because they're actually strong on their exterior, but actually because of their root system and how far down their roots will go. So when I heard this about the redwood trees, I was intrigued. How is it that a redwood tree can go 300 feet in the air and only three foot down, but yet it remains so strong and so powerful until I did some further study on it and I found out that when redwood trees go down three foot on the ground, they don't stay there. They actually go across and reach out to other redwood trees, which they intertwine with. So that way, when the storm comes, when the flood comes, when the wind comes, their strength is not in their foundation alone, as it is the fact that they are linked to other redwood trees. And sometimes in life, when the wind comes and the storm blows and you feel battered, you need to be interlinked to a brother or sister in Christ that is going to uphold you that is going to pray for you. And there are some redwood trees that look battered on the outside, but they are still standing in hope of growing again because they're getting their strength from the other trees that they're holding on to. And sometimes when you're going through the trials of life, not have you just got to dump your pride, you've got to get alongside brothers and sisters who will stand with you, who will pray with you, who will encourage you so that they can keep you standing until you can grow again until you can live again, until you can smile again, until you can walk again. This is why Psalm 92 verse 13 says, blessed is the man who is planted in the house of God. Planted. What does it mean to be planted? It means to be rooted in the house of God. Being rooted means getting plugged in with other believers. It means praying with people. It means meeting with people. It means doing fellowship and life with other people. And in doing so, you are more likely to withstand the plans of the enemy. Ask the person next to you, are you under attack? And number three, finally, as Femi and the team come, my last point as to how we can withhold or withstand the storm and counteract. My third point is simply... Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. If you are heavy laden, go to him. That's what he is saying. And what does it say, the scripture say? And I will give you rest. There's something about the rest of God that man can't give you. That's why you need to take it to him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus simply tells us, you want rest for your soul? You need to come to me. But note some key words in that verse. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And look at verse 29. It says, take my yoke upon you. And then it goes on to say, learn from me. Someone say, learn from me. Why does Jesus say, learn from me? If you go and study the life of Jesus, you will see how busy he was, but how he always stayed on mission, how he never got distracted. And watch this how he made time for rest. This is the same Jesus that even though there was a storm going on, he slept in the boat. Which should be a sign to some of us that if you cannot control the storm, just sleep. If you can't control about, if you can't control what you're worrying about, just sleep. And Jesus said, learn from me. And he showed us how to rest. Do you know how many times the Bible says, and Jesus went away to be by himself? This is the same Jesus that says, learn from me. There are two types of isolation. There is one type of isolation that is not of God. That's when you start to desire fleshy things, things of the world. You start withdrawing yourself from godly people, godly counsel. That is not good isolation. The type of good isolation is when you find time to be alone in God's presence. When you go to the mountains, when you go to the hill, when you don't have to be waiting for church to call the fast before you fast. When you take the time to withdraw from the things that are draining your energy and causing you to become exhausted. And sometimes those things can be the apps on your phone. It could be the things that you are scrolling through that are showing you that everyone else's life is better than yours. Sometimes you need to switch off. Sometimes you need to, what's the word? Uh, Deactivate. Take a break and go and be with Jesus. Sometimes you need to say enough is enough of coming out a particular way and smiling as if everything is well when actually I need to take my issues to the feet of Jesus. Ask the person next to you, are you under attack? The Bible says in that verse, for he is gentle and lowly in heart. Let me conclude by telling you, you need humility to be honest with where you are, to be honest with yourself, and to be honest with others. You need humility to get the encouragement that you need from others. Because pride and peace do not sleep together. So you need humility to embrace his peace. Which means saying no to pride so that you can get the support that you need when you are under attack. My question to you is, which one are you going to let win? Pride or humility because for many of us we've grown dry in our spiritual walk we read a chapter and by the time we've finished our minds are distracted with 101 things we can't even remember what we read 
Many of us, we attend church online in person. But we feel like we're distant from hearing the voice of God in our lives, in our situations. And I don't believe it's by accident that the Lord said to me on Thursday, this is what I want you to share with my people so that you can be set free and so that you can walk in the victory that he has afforded you in Jesus' name. And so church, as we close our service this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand.